Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. For all your favorite characters from the Gillivers, shop the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. Also brought to you by Rode Microphones, the official microphone supplier of Inside the Gillivers. See their entire lineup today at Rode.com. Now, please welcome your host, Eric Broadbent. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Season 2, Episode 9 of Inside the Gillivers, where we talk all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent, and it comes with great pleasure to welcome back a good friend. You know her as Betsy Kellerman from Better Call Saul and so many other fantastic productions. Uh, we'd love to have her back. She's not in character tonight. We don't even know where Betsy is. We'll find out later. Our good friend, Julie Ann Emery. Julianne, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Betsy is somewhere in the recesses of my mind. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll try to keep her contained. <laughs> yes, I think we might need to do that. Or we we'll also have to call security or something of the, of the nature. You know, it's great to have you back. And, uh, and and I appreciate you accommodating our schedule. We had to do a bump with you earlier. And thank you so much for accommodating. It's nice to have you back. And I think tonight we're just going to fanboy and fangirl out over this great show that you're, you were a part of and we all love. And, uh, and we'll talk about that. Plus some of your other work. We've got some fan questions about some of your other projects as well, too. And say hi to a bunch of wonderful people on the chat. I was telling you a little bit about the Gilliverse family off the air. And you know what it's like. The people love this. Uh, and it, it, I it, love it. I am a I, fangirl of this universe. So like, <laughs> imagine getting that phone call that you're going to be on Better Call Saul. Or I, the Breaking Bad spinoff. Yeah, I mean, I, I can fangirl with everybody else. It's good. It's it's just a, it's a nice thing, and it's a it's a bittersweet thing too. I mean, we're we're approaching the the series finale, and another closed door uh, on you know on the Gilliver's chapter. You know, and and, I'm, and we'll talk about some theories later on as well too. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick your brain about some theories, some fan theories, uh, some character theories, and just what you're thinking about towards um, uh, the end of of the season as well too. But something I was talking about the other night. I did a live stream, and I think you'll appreciate this. I, I wanted to show some fan artwork on my music live stream last Wednesday, and I was trying to tilt. My my camera just a little bit you can probably see you yourself may not be able to see 100 but the fans can see some of these posters that vince gilligan sent me um but i also had some beautiful artwork and usually when someone comes on the show almost every time some of these great fans and talented artists will do drawings of the guests and so there's uh, there's an artist on twitter she goes by the name of arctic sakai and i promised i'd show it tonight and i think you'll appreciate this so she did um a, a digital drawing of uh, this one is of hector salamanca <gasps> Oh my, that is gorgeous. Yes. So that's and our, captures him perfectly. I know, I know. It captures his essence. Yes, totally. Yeah. Signed on the back and sent that to me. And then she also did so this is this is for you, Arctic Sakai. We want to make sure a, a, a copy of that to the writer's room. I, I don't yes. know. Have you ever seen the art the, the the fan art board in the writer's room? Yes. Oh yeah. It, they mm-hmm. It's it's just amazing. It's it, and they, they they keep fan art all over the uh, the writers' offices, the production offices. They do, they they do, yeah. and they love it. As a matter of fact, I was able to help get um, a couple pencil sketches from uh, one of our good friends, Ragava. He did one of Peter Gould. Peter loved it. And uh, Ragava, if you're watching this evening too, I've got uh, an address I'll give you to send for Vince Gilligan as well too. So, and we're going to get one of Arctic Sakai sent to uh, that she did with our good friend. Um, uh, Andrea in Germany. So here's another one too. This is the Salamanca twins. 
Oh, nice. That's like a comic book. Yeah, I know. That's like the art we used to get for Preacher. That's there. There are such talented, talented artists around out there doing stuff. Uh, that is gorgeous. Yeah, I wanted to show that off again because these fans are so talented. We wanted to make and sure. How appropriate to put those two characters in a comic book like setting. I know, <laughs> like, right? That's so perfect. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. So I wanted to talk about a few things that since last time you've been here, I think when you were here, obviously in character before with with Tom and obviously uh, with Jeremy as well too. Uh, I gave Tom a hard time. I, I know that was the best, right? Oh, I know he really. I'm glad it was him and not me. I, I honestly, I'm glad you guys picked on him. I just was pushing the buttons and you stuff. Know, like once you go into like the Betsy Improv Land, she was driving the car. Like it was only after the fact that I was like, oh shit. I really gave Tom a hard time. I should email him right now. <laughs> like, Tom's got thick. He, Tom has the thickest skin of anybody I know, and he has the most warped sense of humor too. So I mean, I don't really I think he was not like I wasn't like thinking about it as Julie at all. Like in the midst of what we were talking about, yeah, yeah. I yeah. if I had to live with Betsy Kellerman, I, I don't know what I would do. I I don't think I you would you would you would have uh, she would have beat me up mentally. And I just don't think I could handle it. I, I mean, I would have to, I would literally have to run as far away from her as fast as I could. You know, I think the Kettlemans are soulmates. I think the Kettlemans found each other. Like, yeah. I, he's the only person who could live with her. And he, you know, Vince said something to Jeremy when we were shooting the pilot episode of uh, the very first episode of Better Call Saul. We were shooting that scene in the diner and, uh, we did a lot of character exploration that day. We had extra time to shoot the first episode. And um, Vince came in at one point and he looked at Jeremy and he said, I don't think he knows how to put on her his socks without her. <laughs> and, and I was like, that's, yeah, I think he needs her and she needs him. Like they really found each other. There, there's there there and you know what I got it I got it just because I saw this uh, handsome man's name in the chat this uh, this Kevin fellow he's over in the chat so speaking about soulmates <laughs> I welcome welcome Hi, Kevin yes welcome Kevin to the show and and you guys I've said this to you personally in an email you guys are, are a real inspiration to me um, and you just I think you're inspiration to a lot of people you you guys are just so happy you know I mean singing in harmonies and and just it's it's really warming for sure I I really uh, I really look up to you guys. You know, we're in a, we, we met in college and we've been together since college. Mm -hmm. We've lived together since what, junior year of college. Um, and, uh, it, we, uh, our, our business is hard enough and dramatic enough. Like what we do, the life outside is hard and dramatic enough for us. We, we like peace and happiness in our home if we can, if we can have it with each other. Yeah. Well, it definitely an inspiration. And I, I know we all, we all love seeing your tweets and, you know, wow. and, and, and following both of you. Kevin's an awesome guy. And, and, you know, I haven't really had a, a chance to interact with him, but Kevin, you know, uh, it's awesome, man. Uh, here's a question right off the, uh, the hop here from Andrea. This is one of the ones I was telling you meant to help to Arctic Sakai do this really cool picture of Nacho. Uh, and that's going to go to Vince Gilligan, by the way. Nice. Uh, she says, as Sylvia Reese, you were in the series Bosch and I haven't seen Bosch yet. We'll talk about Bosch tonight. Uh, how did you find it that Max are Yanaga was also had a role in the first of the Bosch seasons. Did you did you know that Max was in that? Um, I did because um, Annie Wershing uh, played a, a, a very large character in season one uh, uh, called Brasher, and she's a, a dear, 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 uh, longtime friend. Um, so I did know he was in it. I don't. I never crossed over with him in the Better Call Saul universe, mm -hmm. like in the sort of Breaking Bad universe. So I don't. Um, and I never crossed over with him in Bosch. But there's. 
you know, it. I also played a big recurring role. Sylvia Reese was a season-long recurring role on Bosch for season six. And then I'll be back for some episodes in season seven as well. Oh, good. Um, but there, I did a like a five-episode arc on major crimes uh, as well. And uh, Ray Cruz, Raymond Cruz, who plays... Tuco. Uh, yeah, who um, he? I played opposite him. Like we we were partner. We, I got partnered with him, and then I was his love interest for a little bit. Like <laughs> my whole arc was with Ray Cruz, and I had just come off of Better Call Saul when I when I went to do that. So um, I've had a lot of. Uh, I feel like I've had a lot of crossover. It's not surprising. Sharon Bialy and Sherry Thomas are the casting directors yeah. uh, for Breaking Bad and for Better Call Saul. El Camino, Walking Dead. Um, they they really they they know all the best actors i mean yeah. they really they have such good taste in actors i i feel like i'm like that's humble bragging on myself but really i'm just honored to ever be in their room um yeah and because they have such good taste and because they you know when i met sherry she was still casting some theater on the side because she loves theater so like when you love actors that do things like theater when you love then you love actors that have craft. So then you're going to, you're going to get a lot of people like Giancarlo. You're going to you're going to get a lot of people that are going to cross over in a lot of universes. You're going to get people that um, shows like to populate their series with because they bring something three dimensional to what they're doing. I agree. And and I know for a fact, you weren't bragging, uh, humble bragging or anything, but it's to look at the fact that you yourself and some of these other fine, talented actors are on the speed dial of those incredible women um, is pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. It's an honor. Like also on the flip side of that, every time um, I just did an audition that I sent in for them, I pay special attention to. Um, I never want to let them down. No, you know I know that they believe in me. I know they see my work. Like sometimes as an artist, as any kind of an artist, visual, performing, whatever. Not everybody is going to get you mm-hmm. right or see you. It's it's a it's it's a subjective. Um, business it's a subjective even for fans like some fans are really drawn to some people and then other fans hate that character or whatever but um because they understand my work and they see it and they like it and they they're supportive i i really i always go for a grand slam with them if i can for whatever they're casting and and anything they're casting that gets sent my way i it's an automatic yes for me like yes yeah because you know, they have the same kind of taste in choosing the projects they're working on. Mm -hmm. Right. And they have the same kind of taste in what directors and creators and producers and writers they partner with. So that's always a sandbox that you want to play in. Well, for someone like yourself and Kevin too, that write and produce and, and, you know, direct as well, you know, what goes into all of that. And that helps you a little bit as well. And with your career that you've had up till now as well, and a great career ahead of you, you know, it's not like to say that you're picking and choosing, but you can, you have an advantage over some actors that are just getting into the business and really they may take anything that comes their way or, you know, you have the luxury of saying, I don't think that's for me. And yeah, something- and look, I've I've been there where and we've both been there where we had no choice. We just needed jobs. And the truth is, is that there's no moment when you get past that as an actor. The truth is, is that when you are an actor or singer for a living, you work job to job. You're a freelancer. So sometimes you have the money in the bank to be choosy and sometimes you don't. You, yeah. you know, I mean, some years are very good and you can be 
pickier about things and some years you can't so that's not a very artistic way to put it um, my agents would like it if I always spoke financially <laughs> like that but I generally look if I like the writing and I like a character I generally will jump in the pool even if it's for a nickel so sure. um um, now my team has other ideas than that, but, but it's, I feel that Sherry and Sharon, just to bring it back around to them, the casting directors are, are very similar. Mm-hmm. Like I get auditions for little indie films for them, but they're so good. Yeah. And if I look up the director, they're so good, you know? So like they're, they've got such a wide range of what they do, but it's always with an artistic and a creative eye. So yeah, I, I do feel really lucky when I am in a position to say, ah, this is not for me right now. Yeah. That's maybe good. If maybe if I'm broke at some point, <laughs> um, but you know, you know, you know where your line is and you all, I always had those lines. Like there are all kinds of lines when you're looking at material, like, do you, there are nudity lines. Like I used to have a little, like, these are my nudity guidelines. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't meet this criteria, there's no way I'm even going to entertain it. Like Good for there's, you. there's, um, co I have COVID lines for myself. Mm-hmm. Like, um, do they have, you know, shooting during COVID is challenging and it costs an enormous amount of money. The, the, they, they, uh, on Bosch, for example, for season seven, we they were testing every single crew member every single day, so that's a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. So, so during COVID, does does your project have the budget, the money, and is it producers that I know and trust or have a track record to keep me and the crew and everyone involved safe right now? So that's and that's a real that's a real question. Is there a a system in place for them? Are they part of the studio? So there's you know that there, there's always little considerations outside of if i love a character yeah once they send it to me if i love the character then it's hard to talk me out of anything yeah well you're so good at bringing the interesting women i like complicated women you know bring me all the crazy women i will treat them well and love them maybe maybe it's some of the the betsy kellerman and that's deep inside you maybe i don't know what it is because you just want to talk about a crazy woman so maybe you can channel some betsy from time to time to uh Betsy seemed really crazy when we were shooting season one. There were examples of the Kettlemans uh, that we talked about when we were developing them. Like mm-hmm. there was that the governor, it, was it Virginia or West Virginia? He and his wife were getting all these gifts, like millions and millions of dollars. They were kind of being indicted at the time. And there was this city council in California, this little town south of L.A., and they all got arrested for paying themselves they were in this broke little community and they were paying they were each paying themselves like 250 grand a year to sit on the city council Ooh. and it's i mean that's more than senators make i know right <laughs> u.s senators yes. like so like they 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 and they really didn't think they did anything wrong and there were all these interviews on npr that you could click on and listen to for them um i feel like now betsy is doesn't seem as crazy as a lot of what we've seen in our world since season one of better call Saul. I mean, there's a lot of crazy Karens out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, too many. I mean, they want, should be called Betsy's. I don't know. But you know, there's a lot of there. We, we're seeing a lot of people. Uh, I don't, I don't know where I'm from. They say, show your ass. They say, yeah. show your butt. Yeah. You know, there, there, we're seeing a lot of people sort of show, show that inner, angst and anxiety and and their inner crazy right now out loud and betsy was just showing it out loud like i wonder 
I don't know. I wonder how she would play if season one was happening right now. Yeah, I know, right? And, and under know. a pandemic. I mean, at the time, it seemed so nuts. And then since then, especially the last like year and a half, I keep seeing things on Twitter, these videos and stuff, and I'm like, oh my God, that's Betsy. Like, I know, right? Totally. It, totally. I, I mean, we were prescient. Like, they, Vince and Peter had a crystal ball or something. It's like, you know, we always talk about the Simpsons, Simpsons seeing the future. I think, I think Vince and, and Peter, uh, they, they had, like you say, a crystal yeah. ball. We've got some really awesome super chats coming in. And after we get through some of the super chats, I'm going to go to some of those audio questions I told you about. We've got questions from Karina, Lori, Kathy Lattice, and uh, Sharon D by audio questions. So here is a super chat from Saul Goodman Twitter. That's Chris. He, it's not really a question. He's just, in, and you've seen him on there. He's been going yeah, through a real Chris, rough. I hope you're feeling better yes he's, he's getting some support and love from the Gillaverse and some financial support from some of his as well too uh just says just saying just saying hi to people in the chat love eric and a big hi to julianne thank her for motivate for the motivation she gave me for the last few months awesome he's a good guy and, he, and he's he's I, always giving to us and that's why to all of us i should say so that's why we like to share the love back for him and wish him well uh super chat from harini says hi julie big fan of you my question the character betsy kettleman is definitely a difficult person but what is one quality that you like about her very very good question um there is no lack of perseverance in betsy um she Obviously, she sees something through way past where it should stop, mm -hmm. but there's no lack of perseverance. And honestly, also, she loves her family with her whole self. I mean, it, you can you can call her controlling when it comes to her family, but it's all born out of love. Mm -hmm. It's all born out of if everybody does what I tell them to do. Nope, Betsy, go back, go back, go back. <laughs> if everybody if, if everybody does what she tells them to do, then everybody will be safe. Right. Then everything will be fine. Everyone will be safe and be successful and things will turn out well. Like she really, truly look, she's not the one running for office. No, nope. she's not the one who is the trip. I mean, she's she is happy to be the pusher to, to sit in the background and try to create these lives for the, the people in her family. Yeah. That's that well said. And boy, she's got insane amounts of perseverance. I mean, you, you just got to love that about her. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely protects the family. That There's no doubt about that, yeah. uh, for sure. Uh, we're going to jump to another Super Chat question, then maybe we'll do some audio questions. This is from Rugava, and I was mentioned to you, uh, Renton Rugava's name. He did the wonderful drawings of uh, Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan, uh, pencil sketch, which is amazing. Uh, it says, hi, Julie, big fan of your performance. Uh, what was what were some memorable experiences during uh, shooting uh, Better Call Saul? And also, if you can share, what was one of your favorite scenes in the show? So, uh, you know... Because we were there in season one and we were there for the first episode, like we were there right from the beginning, it was such a beautiful thing to be involved in how that universe was blossoming and getting figured out. Um, and Vince and Peter and I mean, everyone involved, they're so um, generous of spirit mm -hmm. um, as people and creatively. And uh, that was that was really thrilling to be part of, and to to be part of that early cast. I feel like we form, I like I form bonds with Ray Seahorn and Patrick, and and I, I form bonds with everyone. John Jonathan Bay, like in ways that I don't know would have happened in later seasons. Wow. Like once they had already been rolling, you know, like we were all because we were there for you know Fresh. in the beginning. Fresh. We were all trying to figure it out together because the tone is. Not the same. I mean, Breaking Bad's tone was Brian Cranston, right? Mm -hmm. It was, it was, and it shifted as his character, uh, with his character's arc. Mm -hmm. And the same is true of Better Call Saul. Like the tone of 
Better Call Saul is, well, Jimmy and then Saul. It's, it's, uh, um, that's his world. So that was really, that was really, really special. And having the time, I've never done television work where we actually did character exploration um, on set. Jeremy and I worked very closely together in ways that you don't ever get to do on camera. Usually, I mean, hopefully you meet each other, but you, I do my work at home and somebody else does their work at home and we show up on set and we hope that it goes together, right? Mm -hmm. But Jeremy and I, because the Kettlemans were so tricky to find w where they lived, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, you want to be in the pocket when you're an actor. And most of the time, the pocket is about this big. Okay. The Kettlemans, the pocket is about this big. And any side, anything outside of that is just bad acting. Okay. Right? And if you can be in that pocket, and I couldn't find that pocket without Jeremy. <laughs> like, especially early on, I couldn't find Betsy without, be. I couldn't find this place without being with him. So, I know that's a weird way to talk about it, but. I get it. it it's, um, I think, having that time with him, and also Bob set up rehearsals with us on the weekends and stuff to go over big scenes and to, to, to work on stuff. And that was such a gift. Um, there's only, I've only done one other project where that happened and that was Fargo. Okay. That Bob was also in, right. Se season one of Fargo is we would all, we would all get together and mess around with the material and stuff before we had to show up on set together. Um, that, especially coming from theater the way I do, that was, it, that was just such a beautiful gift. I feel like that whole season was just a little moment in time, little ball of goodness. Yeah. It was, yeah. And, and the, the writers, you know, our storyline changed after we did the first episode mm -hmm. and that never, ever happens. The fact that they were willing to do, that's a lot of work for them. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the Kettlemans were not supposed to quite get as big as they did storyline wise. And, um, I, that's never happened to me before. Right. Um, and I just, that not, you know, that they had everything written out and then they changed. So like that was also a, a massive gift, especially for a character like Betsy. It was, well, take some credit there too, though. I mean, you and Jeremy both. Okay. You deserve a cliff. We both, Jeremy and I both jumped off a cliff. I mean, I, I was, sometimes I would have a creative panic attack the night before <laughs> shooting. Cause I was like, I don't know if this is bad or good. Like I, I've never, I'd never played anyone like her on camera. And I don't know if we've really seen many people like her on camera. Not too many. Moment. Right. So because I'd never played anyone like her on camera, I didn't know how it was going to. You had nothing to base it on. Well, because the camera is, um, you know, the camera can read your thoughts. It sees things mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily see live. That's the difference between theater and film. Right. So and I didn't know how Betsy was going to play in inside the camera. Like I didn't know how that was going to translate. But when Vince Gilligan looks at you and says, yes, that's it. Do that. You say, yes, sir. And you do it. That's you, right. you know, I mean, you just do it. You just trust him and jump, you know? Yeah. You just leap right off the cliff. Yeah. Well, I like the way you talked about the pocket being like this. And I got to see it firsthand uh, as a, a, you know, a spectator, not with the show, but when you come on before and when both of you are in character and yes, I know you and Jeremy had some emails and some phone calls and maybe, maybe some zoom calls working on a little bit of a shtick for the show, but you, you pulled it off so quickly and it wasn't, it, there was no lines. It was just dialogue between the two of you. And because yeah. for fans that didn't get a chance to see that interview, because we were in the midst of COVID last year and still, still are, um, it was uh, both uh, Julianne and Jeremy 
Jeremy were acting like they were in quarantine in different rooms. Meanwhile, they're in different houses. So like, hey, honey, you know, you're shouting to the person. You know, that we're was great. The coasts. Yeah. We were totally opposite coasts. Yeah, we didn't, we did, we did, we didn't rehearse bits necessarily. Um, we, but we came up with ideas and we, and we decided what had happened together since then. We, we worked on our backstory since then. So we could, and, and then we decided how we were going to sort of justify not being in the same room together. Which was great. So we, we did figure that out. But we did this, you know, it was, it felt really similar. We did it, the DVD commentary for episode seven in season one. Yeah. Um, they, Jeremy and I went to a sound studio in New York and we did the whole commentary in character as the Kettleman's. <laughs> So it felt a lot like that. Like we, and we had gotten together because we didn't know our, all our instructions were just, just watch the episode and be the Kettleman's. Okay. And so we, and some things were alarming. Like in that episode, Jonathan Banks breaks into our house and we watched them break into our house. And I was like, Oh God. I mean, there were things that came up that were interesting. I mean, I don't, it, it was, neither of us could remember what had happened in that 45 minutes after we were done. But, you know, we just decided sort of, we just got together a little beforehand and decided our history and just kind of went, but, but look, Jeremy and I are, um, not all actors can do that together either. Jeremy and I give and take with each other very incredibly well. Like it's it's very seamless for us. He's wonderful. I could just picture. He's so I could, good, and he's the best partner. I mean, he's I I just I can't fathom having done it with anyone else. Well, that's that's wonderful. I, I love him too. He's great. Um, we're gonna jump to, back to super chats in just a moment, but I think we'll maybe go over to some of those audio questions. We have some uh, questions coming up from Zoko Santos, Bob Rich, uh, Cinema Dave, and from Aya. So we'll jump over to some audio. This one's going to be from Karina. Karina is one of our head moderators here, and this is a question from her. Hi, Julie. Welcome back. My name is Karina, and my question is, was the character of Laura Featherstone on Preacher the most physically challenging role you've played? Obviously, there were stunt people, but did you have to do a lot of physical training as well? Good question. Um, yes, uh, on both those counts. Um, I and I really, uh, I took karate for a while as an, as an adult. I have like a black belt and uh, not a, I mean, a purple belt in Taekwondo. Um, and, um, and I used to dance, you know, when I was doing theater. So I really like the physical aspect of things. So uh, I'm preacher. You know, anytime you're not on set, you're probably in with the stunt team, uh, you, you know, working a stunt or working a fight scene. You're probably having fight call, which was definitely true, especially of season four for me. You don't really have days off. And um, it was demanding, but it was the kind of work, demanding work that I love. I love, love, love. I, did, I even did some wire work um, in season four of the show that was... Uh, one of the scariest things I've done because I had to, I did dust? a dead drop for that jump off the cliff with the um, squirrel suit. Yeah, um, and the dead drop just for, for, until you until the wires catch you, it just feels like I just jumped off you know a, a super high platform. So it's um, it, it was it was cool and wonderful. And that stunt team is run by John Koyama, and him and his he he is so insanely talented, and he is also one of the most decent men I have known in the business and his entire team is that way. I've never known a stunt team like them. It is not testosterone driven. It is creative and brilliant and inclusive. And, uh, I, I know that I did things for them because I trusted him so implicitly. And frankly, 
uh, that stunt team injured themselves to keep me safe. Wow. Like if they saw something starting to go in the least bit wrong, they will throw themselves between me and whatever is on the other side to keep me from being injured. And I, I mean, I can't possibly say enough about them. This, this stunt, the amount of stunt work we did on Preacher is not something that most television shows do. Preacher was one of the first to do that amount. Um, and it's it's intense. It takes an incredible amount of time and dedication and physical physicality. And those guys throw themselves around. I mean, I can't believe I can't believe what I watch them do to their bodies. They it's, just I, they have to be in some form of injury at all times. But you would never know it. They're happy and um, wonderful. And I yeah, I can't possibly say enough enough good things about them because I'm game. I did a lot. Um, I, I do I do tend to do a lot. I. Um, the insurance has stopped me. Okay. Several times. Yeah. Now, now. Um, yeah. That's enough. Now, yeah. now Jade, my stunt double will do this. That's mm-hmm. enough. That's enough. Like, so, um, I tend to, uh, I tend to be, what do they call me in Australia? A, a right ripper. I tend to be a bit of a rip, a ripper about it. Okay. Okay. Was well, it good? Yeah. Well, it sounds like these people are uh, almost like the Secret Service for the president. I mean, you know, they're willing to take a bullet basically for for the actors. Yeah, they're. I mean, that's their mandate, right? Yeah. Like whatever happens, the actor does not get hurt. And mm-hmm. and you know, we're we're doing intense stuff. And when you're working on camera, I mean, I've gotten popped. You know, mm-hmm. like it's because the once you're in a close up, sure, it's about angle, but you you still have to come this close. Yeah. Like you can't. You, can't be more than that far away it's it's very um and when you're in that scene you know if you're in the scene with a stunt person they'll never you'll never get hit you'll never do anything but sometimes it would be me and ruth because we were um very committed and we worked very hard on our stunts and we really wanted to do it so they were able to do shots with us that they wouldn't normally get yes uh, because we worked uh because we showed up for rehearsal fight calls so so much together we were able to do that but you know, as the actor, you have to bring something more to it than just the execution of the punch and keeping somebody safe. Like you have to actually put some uh, anger or testosterone or, 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 or energy behind it in a way. And sometimes that goes a little wrong, you know. Agre- yeah. Agreed. Agreed for sure. Here is a question from Lori. And I, I have to apologize. I don't remember what Lori had sent. She, she's when I told you off the air that it just has like these deep questions that usually stumps the guests. So let's see what Lori has for us this evening. Hi, Julie. This is Lori. When you studied at the conservatory, you won the Marsha Mason Scholarship. I was wondering if you ever had a chance to meet Marsha. Also, I've heard that you're a big Star Trek fan. Do you have a favorite character or episode? Thanks a lot. There you go. Okay, so first of all, I am definitely a Trekkie. Uh, I also like Star Wars, and I don't believe there's any conflict, and that's, there's no argument with that for me. So awesome. you know, you keep your thoughts about that, too. Yeah. Um, um, for me, my favorite, my Star Trek is Next Generation, um, and that will always be my, TNG will always be my Star Trek. Um, um, let's talk about Marsha Mason. Okay. So I did win the Marsha Mason scholarship. I, you know, I, I, uh, my mom put me through college and, and, and money was tight. So that was, that scholarship, uh, helped me so much and was a big deal. Um, I auditioned for a play. Oh my God. 10 years ago, maybe even more that Marsha Mason was directing. Oh, wow. I met her and we sat and talked about, 
I, you know, I told her I wouldn't have been able to stay at school if I had not won the Marshall Mason Scholarship at my conservatory. Wow. And, um, and we got, so we did get to have, I was so thrilled to get to, you know, thank her in person for that. I mean, it, yeah, it was, it was, it meant so much to me. I can tell. And, I was, I, and she's, I mean, her, her body of work is wide and she's directing a ton now, like theater wise. And, um, yeah, yeah. But thank you. I love that question. Thank she you. she has good ones for sure. They are, are all of our in life when you have those moments where you get to like, where something good has come to you and you get to like, give a, give a little back or, mm-hmm. or actually say to someone, you gave me something that changed my life that made a big difference for me right in the moment when I needed it. I'm trying to use that analogy right now in my life. I'm trying to be kind of a conduit. If something good comes to me, um, you know, whatever it is, it, I'm trying to be the conduit and, and pass it on as opposed to being the sponge and taking all of it. You know, it's nice to pay, pay it forward, right? Yes. You try to like I pay it forward, reach back, help other people. I mean, my thing is, is if you want to complain about what's bad in your life or bad in the world, then you also have to acknowledge what's good. Yeah, of course. So if you want to be able to look at someone and call them out for bad behavior, then you also have to look at that same person and say, this was a really good thing you did. Well done. Thank you for that. That was lovely. Like, I, I think we we don't, uh, God, especially with social media now, we don't balance ourselves. I know. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Yeah. And I think we need both in our life. Yeah. I, I agree. Very, very well said and good advice. Here's something that was uh, uh, just acapella that came in. And actually, I don't mean to say acapella, but I did mean to say acapella. This is from Brian David says, is Julie going to sing John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt acapella? <laughs> we learned, I don't know them anymore, but we learned four verses of that song and never used it. <laughs> I think you mentioned something. I think you mentioned something on Twitter about it the other day. I, or someone did. I, I can't possibly sing it without Jeremy. <laughs> there you go. We need him. We need him. Okay, we'll jump over to a question from Kathy Lattice. And I, I hope I'm pronouncing Kathy's last name right, but it's from Kathy. Here we go. Uh, so many of these people I recognize from Twitter. You guys yeah. talk to me on Twitter. I love it. Thank you so and, much. And I got to I gotta give you a credit on that too. That when you were here last time with Tom and I and Jeremy, you stayed on Twitter for like, and I'm not, I'm not putting you on the spot. I just want to thank you for what you did for the fans after that. You, there's Q and A's that we just couldn't answer all the questions. And I mean, talk about caring about your fans. So thank you for what you did after the show. So here's from Kathy. Hi, Julie. This is Kathy. I just wanted to tell you how great I think you are. Your performance as Betsy Kettleman is amazing. Speaking of Betsy Kay, I was wondering if she was possibly based on anyone in particular, like a family member or a friend. Thank you. I mean, Kathy, I don't know how I could possibly answer that without getting myself in trouble. Like, (laughs) I don't know how... Okay, I'll say this because I've, I think I said it on a on an insider podcast for mm-hmm. the show when it was airing. When we were doing our character work and Jeremy and I were locating the Kettlemans, like, who are they? We were sharing a lot of um, YouTube videos and documentaries and we were, you know, passing them back and forth saying, oh, I think there's this thing that they're like or this thing right here. Um so there are definitely things that we took from in real life. Um, I, I, mostly for me, I, I I wanted Betsy to be the kind of woman that would smile. And when she smiled at you, you were like, who is buried in your backyard? Oh, my God. <laughs> who is buried in your backyard? And there are, that was, there are YouTube videos that Jeremy and I were passing back and forth that were with, with many of those kinds of women um so yeah but especially if there if there were anyone in my real life i couldn't possibly answer that question 
fully. That would be bad. That's yeah. true. Well, we get, we do know the name, the least Betsy portion came partially as for inspiration from Betsy Brandt. Yes, but Betsy Brandt is lovely. She's nothing I like know, Betsy. I know. I know. She's just the namesake. I mean, she is a lovely human. And she she got to cut loose here on the show. Boy, did she ever cut loose when we had her on? I think Tom was still with us. And, and uh, what, was Tom with us? I think so. And it was just absolutely a, a hoot with her. Because, I mean, she can really, you know, get a glass of wine and just, she can cut, you know, <laughs> cut loose. It was great. So we have one more audio question. Then I'm going to try my very, very best to jump over to as many of the text questions. And I'm even pulling a lot of mine off tonight. Just for to honor our fans that have the greatest questions. So here's one from Sharon Dean. She also goes, you probably see her by Blazy Gardner on Twitter. She loves you. Yeah. All right. Here she is. Hi, Eric. Hi, Julianne. Thank you for being on tonight. This is Sharon D from North Carolina. You've been acting since you were 16 and you've been in many different kinds of shows and movies. Is there an aspect of the business you would like to be involved in that you haven't had the opportunity to? Thank you for answering. Have a great night. Great question. So that's a great question. So I am a little a bit of a, a guerrilla filmmaker. I had um, a digital series in like back in 2009, 2010. We had so little money, we shot on camcorders from Best Buy. Like $150 camcorders from Best Buy. <laughs> my brilliant actor friends, my mama would come up to New York on every shoot day and just cook all day long and feed everybody. Um, I would like uh, to... Uh, I would like to write and direct um, on a larger scale for, for more than the nickel that we did my, my digital series for. And, and I have been doing some writing projects and I'm attached to a couple of things as a director. So we'll just see maybe I, I, I'm hopeful that one of those or a couple of those projects will play out down the road. But uh, I'm definitely interested in uh, I think we need more female voices in the business um, and in art in general. And um I am able to write, so I think there's a responsibility to do that um, right now. And um, I mean, I would never, I am embarrassed to call myself a writer at all on, like, when I think about the Better Call Saul writer's room, like, it's, it's, uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a baby writer director still, but I'm hopeful that I can move into that part of the business as time moves on. I, I hope, I hope so too. And one of my good friends, Glenn Mazzara, I, I obviously, I, I loved Glenn so much when he was uh, writing, show writing for, for uh, The Walking Dead, but he is a champion for women writers and women in, in the business. And we, we, we do need more for sure. And look at the writer's room, look at, the, look at some of the episodes that have been written by some of the greatest women writers and greatest writers. Oh, um, they just have I, I gotta tell you, uh, Jen Hutchison yes. wrote two, two of my four episodes of Better Call Saul, and she climbed inside Betsy's mind with me. Mm -hmm. and I, I mean, I read her first episode, episode four. She wrote the one in the woods where I tried to buy him off with the money, yeah. and then she also wrote episode seven. But she she climbed in Betsy's head in a way that I never expected a writer to climb in. Like that, it was one of the most extraordinary experiences to read that first script and go, oh my God, she climbed in this bizarre mind with me. Like yeah. I couldn't even, I didn't even quite have the words for Betsy at that point. And she climbed in there with me and, and, and did it between episodes one and four. Like, you, you know, did it quickly. I, it's, it's, we, we have some extraordinary women out there. Yes. It just, like Jen should be running her own show. Like she's, it's past time. Come on guys. Like she's, she's great. 
Yeah, like, I mean, uh, we have women out there who are just extraordinary, and um, I, I look forward to uh, seeing more and more and more of them show up in bigger, big, bigger and bigger ways, yeah. We had a wonderful conversation. She stopped back to before the new year, and she was by the show as well, too. Wonderful conversation. The fans loved her. We, we all do, so uh, agree. Amazing. She's also an amazing human being. She's yes. so wonderful. She's just brilliantly talented, and, uh, and I look forward to the day that she is the creator of, of her... That, She's created her own show. I just look forward to the day that studios and networks finally mm-hmm. get on the, the Jen Hutchison train in the way they should. I agree for sure. Here's a nice comment from Jennifer Stevens. It's a super chat. She says, we need a Betsy a bobblehead. Uh, we have our friends Warren Warren from Royal Bobbles here in the chat. He's uh, jumping in right now. And they're actually a sponsor of the show. You probably heard at the beginning of the show. Have you oh, seen Have you seen some of their bobbleheads that they have? I, of course I have. Right. I, I mean, Preacher goes to Comic-Con all the time, of course. Well, there you go. But I yeah. just thought of that now. I mean, you know, I've had some calls with Warren and I can't, I can't share what the things that they're talking about, but I could see... Um, I could see the, the Kettleman collection would be great as bobbleheads. I mean, just, well, I mean, you could, with the That's bob the hair. Family, the little bobble family. Oh, I mean, Betsy has the bob hair already. So imagine that little bobblehead. That'd be great. And, and Jeremy's, you know, uh, uh, Craig's sad eyes, like no life in his soul. Yeah. You know, that would be great. Uh, so the good, good suggestion and Warren wink, wink. Let's see what we can do on that. <laughs> this is from, this is a super chat or actually just a chat from Zoko Santos says, Julie, how was your experience on a true story telling a Fargo, uh, than a, um, uh, than a lawyer crime storyline and better call Saul. So maybe the differences between that and which project did you like more? I like your performance on Fargo more. So yeah, like kind of, you know, make believe as opposed to crime drama kind of still, you know, somewhat made up but is there a difference in what you like better about either of them so Fargo Fargo is based on a true story right right it's not actually a true story those are not actually true stories Mm -hmm. oh my my Kevin is uh, we were just talking about Kevin earlier he's asked I have it's not an actual bobblehead I have a fan made me a version it's not a bobblehead but let's see it let's see it it's here of Laura Featherstone of my character from Preacher um um, and, and, oh, and I have one of Pip as well. So a, a fan sent me these, but they're not official bobbleheads. They're just inspired. Oh, like Funko. Oh, that's perfect. Look they're at like them. They're like a Funko Pop. Right, right, right. But they're like this, this really lovely woman made them. <laughs> they're great. I know. And that's like a little thing. Oh yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, thank you. Um, good call, was, Kevin. That, that was good. Lovely other half. Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, we're talking about Fargo. So Fargo is fictional. It's not, I think, um, I mean, Fargo is, Ida was, you, you know, you're talking about characters on opposite ends of the spectrum. So, for example, I always said they brought in Ida on Fargo season one when they were worried they'd gone too dark. Okay. Like, uh, Ida was like the light in the darkness. She was maybe the most normal character on the show maybe Keith Carradine's character is pretty grounded and normal as well but she was very um I don't kind-hearted and uh, like good midwestern like she was a great kind midwesterner um and then and that was so so my job on that show was to to be that light in the darkness and to, to kind of pull everything back to like the audience level of normal my job on Better Call Saul I mean, you know, I was doing that first scene we had with Bob that we were shooting in the diner in episode one, and a thought struck me like lightning. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to make him look normal. (laughs) Like, Bob's character on Better Call, on on Breaking Bad was the most out there character. Like, if the, if the, if the, 
if your parameters on Breaking Bad are here, Bob lived, you know, oh, yeah. but he was the center of Better Call Saul, yep. especially as Jimmy, he was grounded. And I was like, oh, I have to make him look normal. So my job was to push those outer boundaries. Um, so that's just a, sort of a, th- those are just two, those are just two different I mean, they're definitely two different characters, but that's also a different World. job in the story itself. I'm mm-hmm. always looking for what's my job in the, in the telling of this story. Yeah. Um, in terms of choosing, I could no sooner choose. I mean, asking me to choose a favorite, you know, a favorite like a character. Just like asking you to choose a favorite child. Like, exactly. I, I, there's no way I could do that. I will say Fargo and Better Call Saul are two of the projects I'm most proud to have been part of in my career, for sure. Nice. Very nice. And seeing all your lovely uh, Kevin just popped in here a second ago. Kevin, I just found out that you and I share a love for Dr. Pepper. I'm drinking Dr. Pepper tonight. No sponsorship, of course. He's a diet pep- uh, diet Dr. Pepper. I'm I'm going for all the caffeine and calories and all that bad stuff. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, jump over to, I, that was from Zoko Santos. And this is from Bob Rich. Uh, Bob's uh, a regular of the show and a friend. Says, hi, Julie. What are a few of your favorite moments or scenes from TV, whether drama or comedy? So nothing necessarily about you, just things that you love. What made those scenes or are so rewarding for you to watch it could be shows that you are in or just shows that you enjoy so maybe since we talked about some of your lovely career maybe we'll talk about something outside of your career maybe yeah so i i am a big tv watcher and i uh we've talked about my love for all things trek um i loved killing eve i loved um we're deep into wandavision right now i'm going to leave this uh podcast interview tonight and go finish WandaVision so uh, no spoilers please um, big into Mandalorian um, I, you know just about anything that's well crafted I will sit and watch and love um, we've had quite a lot of great well crafted television in the last five years I mean look Better Call Saul should be winning the Emmy every year, but there, you know, but we are in an embarrassment of riches mm-hmm. right now with television. I was a big Game of Thrones fan, but I was a big fan of the books of Game of Thrones long before the series came along. Okay. So it's, I, I, uh, obviously I like fantasy and sci-fi quite a lot. Yeah. I, I loved Game of Thrones as well, greatly, and then I didn't get a chance to appreciate the book, so I didn't. I could only compare the, the well, television. The books, the books are, I highly recommend. Okay. Really yeah. Here's a question from Aya says, hi, Julie, if this is, this is a good, hypothesizing here. Uh, Hi, Julie, if you could be a character on Breaking Bad, which one would you choose? Now, as you know, and maybe in your case, I don't know how many roles you auditioned for, but a lot of the guests that have been on the show, they've auditioned for different roles on Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and they get a particular one. But if you could be one, and maybe, maybe it is the one that you did play, but if you could be someone else, uh, who might that be? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I would trade Betsy for anyone else, but if I could be on Breaking Bad without having to give up Betsy, yeah, um, I think, and this really speaks to my tendencies as an act, to what I'm drawn to as an actress. Like I should say Lydia, but the truth is, the minute that the minute that Betsy Brandt shoplifted that for the first time, yep. I was so in with her, <laughs> like I so would have loved that and that's i mean i that's that's what comes to i mean i guess i like i like characters with opposites i like women with a twist i like 
unexpected women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you yeah. nailed it with that one. Cause I mean, she seems like she's got everything and she's got a, you know, she's got a great career. Um, you know, Marie did and Hank, obviously a good career. They lived, money was not an option for that couple, but yet she was lacking something and she needed to, she cried for attention and um, shop being a, you know, a kleptomaniac was her cry for help. The second that she shoplifted the first time I was like, Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Normal, normal person, right? None of this, you know, you know, just perfect family, you know, because it just doesn't exist, right? Uh, here is a question from Renata, one of our uh, one of our friends, and also uh, moderators here in the chat. How much did you get to interact with uh, Ethan and Joel Cohen during the filming of season one of Fargo? I am obsessed with them. She says, um, "They were not on set with us. Okay. I know they were producers, so they were involved." you know, in pre-production and in post, but not, we were up in Calgary where it was 40 below. So they were not on set with us. Noah Hawley was on set with us. I have met them though. Um, I came down to the wire on a no country for old men. Mm -hmm. Um, so I met with them several times during that process and really loved them. They're very different from each other, but, uh, and obviously I'm a giant fan of their work. And then I saw Ethan again, uh, for a play that he was doing at the Atlantic in New York after that. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. And thank you for that question as well too, uh, Renata. Um, here's a really good one from Dilly Diamonds. I like this one. Uh, what makes the director now film or stage great from the actor's perspective? Yeah. So, you know, on, in the television world, especially you shoot so fast that very often, um, you get directors out of necessity that come more from the DP side of things than the actor side of things. So you're left to your own devices quite a lot. Um, I love, I think every actor would answer this, that question differently, what they love in a director. Um, I like a director whose eye I trust, uh, to tell me where my parameters are. Like when am I too big or too small or when am I outside the bounds of what we're doing here? Um, which was very important with Betsy Kettleman. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of, um, unnecessary conflict. Um, so I like a director with a great temperament. Okay. I, I think the sets that move the fastest in my experience are also the happiest. Um, the sets that tend to, were the that tend to move the slowest are the ones where there's a lot of yelling and uh, it just doesn't inspire people the way I think that they think it does. It doesn't move things along that way. Um, So I I think temperament has become very important to me in directors as well, because look, there's, there's a lot of like jumping off a cliff or shedding your, your outer defenses when you're an actor, you have to let the camera in and depending on the scene that it can be an emotional scene or not, but whatever you're doing, you have to like, strip away whatever your coping mechanisms are for life and let the audience in on the inside of what's happening with this person. Because okay. if it's just the lines, it's not as interesting for us, right? We want to know what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what's happening on the inside. It's very hard to do that when the second cut comes around and you, your your body goes, oh, I need to protect myself, right? I need yeah. to, you know, so, so I think, um, I think, I think temperament has become important to me as well. And that's good. And like you said, too, if we asked probably 10 different actors, you know, we might find 10 different stories. But that, I'm, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, I also I do a lot of homework. Um, I, I, I like to come very prepared. Mm-hmm. And um, 
if I obviously I love nothing more than a director who thinks of something I haven't thought of. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of think my job is to come in with 10 different ways to play the scene at minimum, like, you know, basically, you, you know, at least. And uh, uh, if a director comes to me and tells me something I haven't thought of, I, I'm probably yours for life. Like, I'm probably going to be like, ah, oh. Sam Catlin used to do that. Our showrunner on Preacher would always direct an episode every season. And every time he would come up to me and he would say, what if, what if it's this? And I'm like, damn it. How did you, how did I not think of that? I know. But, I, but honestly, I would sweep the floor on one of Sam's sets, you, you know, so that's that's a special thing, I think, that doesn't happen all that often. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned Sam because that's a note I had here. I was gonna I was gonna ask you a question. And we're just gonna touch base on it. But the fact, and we'll just we'll just say this that you got to work with some Breaking Bad uh, alum, you know, yeah. with Sam and Dave Porter again. I mean, you didn't necessarily work with Dave Porter, but Dave Michael Clovis and Michael exactly. Michael Clovis was our producing director on Preacher. Yes. So not, not only was he one of our directors, but he was with us all season yeah. every you know every year. So he and what a joy that was. I mean, he he really. And and what a what a steal for Sam to get Michael to uh, come over to Preacher. Oh, I mean, that's I know. Yeah. We, yeah. we had a wonderful talk with Michael and I, when I got off the air with Michael that night, I would just, I felt like I talked to the man that walked on the moon, you know, yeah. you know, one of, one of the men that walked on the moon. I shouldn't say the man, you know, I felt yeah. it's just uh, amazing uh, what he's done. And he's one of those guys. It's not like, you know, you say, wouldn't, you know, when I come to the show, you know, they wanted to stick, you know, cameras and toilets and this and that and stuff like that. And he just, you know, I'm not like that. You want me here, here's how I'm going to do things. And man, did he do a, an incredible job? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So as we're getting close to the end of the program here, we're going to be wrapping up here soon. One of the things I wanted to just kind of, you know, spitball a little bit and, and hypothesize on, you know, season six, you saw the team put up, uh, you know, a six thirteen up on the card, you know, um, on the board representing that the final uh, episode is being broken, the, the series finale, and we say goodbye to the to some of the characters uh, that we love. Now, number one, are you getting excited for it? And number two, I know even now you're not on the show anymore, you're always going to be a fan of the show. Do you have any theories or things that you'd like to see happen that kind of thing no i the theory thing i would not i would only engage in if i'd never been on the show so mm -hmm. I, i'm not gonna engage in invest in some fan theories i will say this when i started on season one i was like i am so excited to see the roller coaster of how this guy of how jimmy mcgill becomes saw the saul goodman we meet in breaking bad mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a damn story. So I'm very much looking forward to that. And I'm very much looking forward to what they do with Ray, with Kim Wexler this season. Yes. Um, I really am dying to know where that relationship is going. Um, but I, I, when I saw that, they put up the 613 on the, the board. And I will say this as well. Um, I think that they ended Breaking Bad at the right time, even though we were all clamoring for more. Um, and I, so I'm going to trust that they're ending Better Call Saul at the right time as well, even though it's going to leave me clamoring for more for sure. But when I saw that 613 go, this is, this has truly been one of the most creative and brilliant teams I've ever worked with, but also one of the most decent. And, um, that writer's room, that production team, that crew, is, that cast is so full of decent human beings doing artistic work at the very highest levels. And, and working with that group really restored a lot of my faith. Um, there can be bad behavior on sets. 
and um, they just wasn't it, that none of that you know ego sometimes in our business gets confused with talent mm-hmm. and that lived that lives nowhere in this universe and I I feel so honored to have uh, been a small part of it and um, and it it makes me sad to 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 think that that writer's room is you know going to be finished soon and and breaking up and going their separate ways or maybe not maybe they'll all wind up together on you something, never but, know you but know. it's just such a special group and you know you could call it lightning in a bottle except that better call Saul I think from a storytelling place is as successful as breaking bad 100%. so like I, I don't think I, I I don't think that's lightning in a bottle I think that's brilliantly talented people truly working together uh, for the greater good, for for the good of the whole. And um, that's a really special thing where ego is kind of left out of it. Vince is so generous uh, yes. with other people and with giving you know people credit for their work. And um, I think that influences everything right down the line to the last PA. And uh, that's, that's something really special that doesn't exist all that often. And... Uh, that it makes that makes me sad that that is uh, that that environment is kind of going away. I can I can feel your sadness from here, and it's very beautifully said the way you explain that. And what you're saying has been said differently, but the same from so many people I've had on. They've all talked about the family, you know, egos at the door. There's just no egos involved. Even check at the door with that with that organization, and that yeah. that that's everyone from from the, from catering to the crew, you know cast, you know, and yeah. crew. So very wonderful. Here's maybe what we'll do as we wrap up. I mean, that's a perfect way to wrap up with a beautiful story and being part of that family so let's just we know how good these writers are the men and women in that room so let's just we're just going to have some fun hypothesizing here so we're not going to ask you what you think <laughs> what your theories are but they'll come up with any way something way better than i could come up with i mean it's a brilliant writer's room they've got way better plans than i could come up with so that being said that being said Okay, and maybe who who knows this? The answer to this might be Betsy and Craig. It might be something else. So we know how competent they are as a team. I tried picked. Uh, I tried to pick Vince's brain. You know, you're going to be putting your feet up on the coffee table. What's next? Are there more stories from within the Gilliverse? And Vince is Vince is is smart as they come. He knows when to get out. And you know he I don't he says he's going to revisit some years down the road. Who knows what that means? It could be two years, three years, five years, never. Who knows? But with that team, who do you think? Could and no. Keep in mind, the scripts mean everything, and and any any good show, uh, it, the script can be a flop. A script can make it, make it or break it. Who could do, who could have their own show as a spinoff? So we've got Saul Goodman. I mean, that's what this became as part of your life. Who else is out there? Is it like a Mike Ermintrout? Is it the Kettlemans? Can you name a Ray, a Ray Seahorn or like a Kim Wexler? Can you just give a just a one and one character that could be a successful with that team writing it? I almost think any of those characters could like, I mean, a, a prequel series where you see Mike Ermintrout as a young man and how he left the police force, like how, what, mm-hmm. how did that all play out for him? That I find fascinating. And then, or do you want to go down the rabbit hole of Giancarlo's character in a prequel kind of way? I, I mean, I think that can be true. Also, where the hell is Jesse Pinkman? <laughs> like, I think, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think there are a number of answers to that question. And with that group of writers, I mean, I'm dying to know what happens to Kim Wexler. Like, I know. I, I'm dying to know where she goes from here. And she's, 
been so attracted to the naughty side of Jimmy that if he's absent from her life, I'm wondering what that becomes for her. Like, yeah, I, I think here's the truth. I think with that group of writers, they could successfully spin off whatever character they want. They could. I, th- I think you're talking about. I think you're talking about talented creators and talented writers. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I don't think anybody thought. Look, I was part of two shows that no one thought was a good idea until we were on the air. Sure. Fargo season one. No one thought Fargo season one was a, no go. Nobody thought a TV show of Fargo was a good idea. The internet was horrible about it. Yeah. Until we shot the first two episodes, and then they show we took a break for a month uh, over the holiday and came back. And over that month, they put those two episodes in post, and they showed them at the TCAs to critics, and the critics lost their minds for it. Uh-oh. I've never been on a show in the middle of filming where the mood shifted so heavily from when we started to when we started episode three. Um the same was true for Better Call Saul. Nobody thought it was a good idea to spin off Breaking Bad. I, that's not how people remember it now, but that's the truth of it. Yeah. Nobody thought it was a good idea, and nobody thought it was a good idea to do it about Saul. Like, because he was the most out-there character on, on Breaking Bad. The truth is, it works because of these writers. Mm-hmm. It works because these writers made it work. I mean, who saw Better Call Saul is not Saul? He's Jimmy McGill? Like, who saw that coming? Nobody. And he's got a brother who's afraid of electricity. Like, who saw any of that coming? That's right. Like, I think, I think when you're talking about creatives like this, I, I, I think that, you know, anything you is possible. Toss up ten balls, and any one of them that gets caught out of the air could could be something good and wonderful. I agree. Well, we're going to be wrapping it up soon. You know, I mean, it's going to be 2022 before we'll see that on on our TVs, and I'm I'm comf- I'm comfortable with that because you know there's three extra episodes this season. You know, they're just wrapping that up now, as far as you know the final one, and it's it's going to be great. It's going to be it's going to be bittersweet. You know, we're going to miss. It, but who knows what could come down the road and if that's all we get um you know i i'm you all of us i think are, are thrilled with what we had yeah yeah i am i mean look the truth is you know it's not shows that last 10 years are generally um procedural shows like shows like saul even preacher ended after four seasons we maybe could have gone another season but i think it was that you know that was a choice by seth and evan and sam to say we want a proper ending. Yeah. We're guaranteed season four. We're going to do it. And I think we're in that moment with television where I, it's, you know, some stories are finite. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. stretching them out for too long of a time, you, you know, it, it, it uh, dilutes the story to the point where it's not the thing that you're in love with anyway. So it's I think it's I think it's right. I mean, he's always was always going to become Saul Goodman. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a finite journey. Um, So I I think I think it's I think it's good. I think they're going out probably in the right way. Agreed. Agreed. Well, a fantastic way to wrap up. This has been I knew it was going to be a pleasure speaking with you again. I've been looking forward to this for for quite some time. Always a delight to talk to you. And thank you for gracing us with your time. A great way to start the weekend. Uh, So first and foremost, thank you. And I've made some notes here as well, too. I just like so I don't forget the important uh, people that also make the show happen. So I want to big a big thank you to Warren and Rachel at Royal Bobbles, bobbleheads.com, being a sponsor in the show and believing in us. Uh, We were very fancy sponsors, by the way. (laughs) Very fancy. I know when they said that in the intro, I was like, damn, that's, yeah. 
That's, that's very fancy. Yeah. Well, we, we love working with them and, and we have a, a, a great uh, relationship and love that. And thanks to our team at Road Microphones as well for making my voice sound as good as I can make it sound. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our channel members, our Patreon supporters, our channel moderators, our subscribers, our super chatters, our PayPal donators, and those that purchase our merch from the Broad, uh, Broad Stash Boutique. You can get these cups and mugs and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, we'd like you to also, actually, if you're new here tonight, please consider hitting that subscribe button down below. And I promise to work just as hard to keep you as a subscriber as I did to get you. And even if I didn't work hard to get you tonight, I promise I'll work hard to keep you. Uh, we'd like you to tune in next week if you can. 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. i got to get those time zones right. The lovely Adrienne Levette will be here. She plays Mouse in Season 5. You recognize her from that. We're looking forward to having her on, on here. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Inside the Gilliverse, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Julianne, don't take off. I'll say goodbye to you off the air. Kevin, thanks for yeah. stopping by tonight, and I'm glad that we share some Dr. Peppers together. And we'll. I'm uh, going to hop on Twitter. If you didn't get your question answered, I'll be around for about the next hour. No problem. Just tag MGN channel, everybody, and tag uh, Julianne as well. And, uh, uh, you, I ask any questions that you didn't uh, get answered here and uh, she's a trooper that way. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you next week. Have a safe weekend out there and we'll look forward to seeing you right here on the same channel, Inside the Gillivers. Until then, cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gillivers with Eric Broadbent. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul.